Hey friends, uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Sammy, I'm the campus minister here, and I'm really glad you're here with us tonight. We are wrapping up our Sermon on the Mount series, and so um, we're going to be looking tonight at Matthew 7, uh, verses 24 to 29. It's in your handout if you want to follow along. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Here's what the Lord has for us tonight. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when, Je- uh, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let me pray for us, and we're going to talk about a pretty straightforward passage, but I think that's a lot for us tonight, so let's pray first. Our Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are our rock, our rock and our redeemer. Uh, Lord, who has loved us better than you have? Lord, you not only were born into this world for us, but you lived the perfect life we could never live. And then you gave yourself um, as the sacrificial lamb that takes away our sin and your death on the cross. And in your resurrection is, is the hope that, that you are not only with us, but you are making all things new. And those all things include us. So, Lord, I pray for tonight as we look at your word, as we look at these closing words that you taught um, years ago in this great sermon that you gave, Lord, would you by your spirit um, preach to us? Would you be the one who by your spirit ministers the word of encouragement that we need, the word of hope that we need, uh, the word of conviction that we need, the word of, of the grace of repentance that we might need? Uh, Lord, you are our everything and we look to you even tonight that you would bless us, and that you would do the work that you alone can do in us. We pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, we did five. So this is your 15. This is a heck of a way to start. Uh, we did 15 years of ministry, or this is my 15th year of ministry. We did five years in Statesboro, Georgia. When we moved to Statesboro, Georgia, we bought our first house. And it was a brand new house. So like, we were very excited. We were young, a little family, and very excited to own a home. Uh, we happened to buy this in 2006, which you know, if you know anything about just recent economic history, it was a terrible time to buy a house. But we're in this house for a year, brand new house, and all of a sudden we start to notice in the foundation of this house a, a crack. And we're like, oh. So we start to watch this crack over the next like four years just grow and grow and grow and grow. Uh, we moved here. Uh, it was a long story. We weren't, we weren't able to sell that house. It's a whole long, this, that's a counseling session that you're, you don't need. But watching this crack in the foundation grow is kind of what I want to talk about tonight because what and this is very straightforward, what the crack represented, that's that crack started very kind of tiny and then grew and grew till it got to a place where I could put my hand in it, was because the foundation wasn't solid. Uh, literally what happened, our builder was a jerk and would not like come fix it. But what had happened is they built the house during a, a drought in Georgia. And so as the sand sort of started to settle, so did our foundation. Um, sometimes college, here's where I'm going, there, there begins to be cracks in the foundation of your life. 
And what those cracks, the reason that they're good is they're trying to tell you something about what you're building your life upon. Because the temptation, even as a Christian, is to not build your house upon the rock that is Jesus. And to instead build your house on the shifting sands that our culture tempts us and tells us that's a good place to build a house. So really simply tonight, what I want to do, here's another way to say it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he is pushing back on us because our temptation is simply this. Our temptation is to try to pursue the building of a house on the shifting sands that our culture says, that's a good place, go build it there. And what we do is we want to sort of build and chase a life that is never going to satisfy, but that seems good to us because we live where we live, we are where we are. And then we want to squeeze and kind of sprinkle Jesus into that. And what Jesus will not have us do, if we belong to him, is he's saying, no, no, life with me is not you kind of squeezing me into this life that you're chasing. Life with me is something radically other, is something radically different, and it's something that the world so rarely sees. It's its own deal with a solid foundation. The way I want to do it two ways, we're just going to simply talk about what are the sands that we're tempted to build on, and then secondly, talk about the rock that is Jesus and what that means for us. So first, let's talk for a little bit about the sands that we're likely to build on. And the way I did this is kind of thinking about the identities that I've certainly chased and the identities that I certainly see you guys chase. So we're just going to go, we got several of them. We're just going to go one by one. These are the sands that we're tempted to build on. Another way to say it, these are the lives that we kind of think are the good life. If we can be this, then we'll be okay. Uh, and then we try to add Jesus into whatever we're chasing. Here's number one, being the cool kid. Um, being the cool kid. Sometimes I think in my mind, like if I were being honest with Jesus, I would want to say to him, not now, Jesus, I'm trying to be the coolest. Don't come in with your conviction, like making me sort of be this weird, holy person. Not now, Jesus, I'm trying to be the coolest. But I love the way one pastor has always said it. You're not cool. You're a Christian. Coolness is something that ultimately never satisfies because you're always chasing more of it. You're chasing the next thing. You're chasing, like I shared last week, the next style. You're chasing the next shoes. You're chasing the next band that you need to like. You're chasing the next director you need to like. You're chasing the next TV show you need to like. And you're trying your hardest just to be cool, to be seen as someone who's cool and is likable and is loved in that way. And Jesus is saying that's shifting sand. It is shifting sand too. Being the good guy or good girl. Where you you seek to build your life upon just being good, being moral, being all about the spiritual disciplines, being the person who doesn't do that and instead does this. And you start to build an identity around being good. And what you don't see is Jesus doesn't want your goodness. He wants your struggle. He wants your sin. He wants your confession. He wants your honesty. Um, There's a band that that I like, Arcade Fire, and they've got this line from a song years ago. And it's a simple line, but they simply said, do you really think your righteousness can pay the interest on your debt? And in that one line is a devastating blow. Do you think you could be good enough to be worthy of God's love? That is shifting sand. And that's exactly why Jesus came for you is you can never be good enough. So first, the cool kid. Second, the good guy or good girl. Third, I'm just going to call it the influencer. This is weird because I think this is kind of low-key. Like, I definitely have seen this over the years where you're, like, trying to project a life of confidence that others want to be. Like, I don't know if y'all followed the Rachel Hollis stuff this past week where Rachel Hollis, girl, wash your face. Uh, big, big, not a fan because it's like 
essentially girl boss, get your stuff together. And that's what Christianity is. And I'm like, no, that is not what Christianity is. But she almost got canceled because she basically compared herself. <laughs> She's like, I'm not trying to be relatable. I'm trying to like want you to aspire to my life. And I'm just like, and she named a whole host of women, one of them being Harriet Tubman. And it was like, no, you can't compare yourself as an influencer to Harriet Tubman, who literally gave her life to free slaves. Um, but there's a way that we do this. I, I love this. Um, Brendan Manning has a great line where he says, the greatest temptation that you and I face in this moment is the temptation to look good without actually being good. And it betrays us. And Jesus says that is shifting sand because it is deeply dishonest. To want your life to project something that's not the reality of your heart, Jesus says no. All right, here's fourth. Uh, we just got like eight of these, so let's just roll with them. We're just going to go. Uh, fourth is the young millionaire, the next Jeff Bezos, uh, the next, just the guy that wants to retire early, the girl that wants to retire early, the woman. Um, and the way that we pursue money has so much to say about is Jesus the deal for us? Uh, John Wesley once preached a sermon on money, three points. Make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. Yes. Also, where we struggle is typically, if you're like me, saving and especially giving. And we've got no category for giving in ways that actually show that we are ultimately dependent on Jesus and that money in the bank is not our deal. Being the next Jeff Bezos, which is, you know, but come on. Let's, well, you know what? One of you could be it. That would be amazing. And uh, we uh, are a support-based ministry, so keep us in mind. Um, <laughs> But this is a thing, right? This is Wolf of Wall Street. This is, I mean, this is a thing. This is where we're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And Jesus is saying, as good of a blessing as money can be, and as important as it is, it's not me. It's shifting sand. Uh, here's five. The hot guy or girl or woman, uh, man or woman. I'm just going to go guy, girl. Uh, the hot guy, girl. <laughs> um, gosh, how many students have I had that are like this? That I mean... It's just the vibe. It's just the vibe they're going for. And that vibe entails slipping into DMs. That vibe entails some sort of workout regime. That vibe entails some sort of eating, you know, like healthy, I guess is what we call it. (laughs) Which is like healthy eating. What is that? Um, And the reality is all you're, you're, you're staking, you're building your life on being attractive. You're building your life on looking a certain sort of way to get you something, to be noticed, to be lusted after, to be moved toward in that way. And Jesus is saying, nope. There's a reason Isaiah describes Jesus as having no form or appearance that we were drawn to him. He wasn't, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to say it. He wasn't hot. Gosh, that sounded weird in my head. Um, He was holy. His life was built on his foundation with the Father. Uh, six, this might not make any sense to you, but I'm going to go for it. Uh, the Big Lebowski. I don't know if you've seen The Big Lebowski. I can't, like, recommend it here, but Loki, if you're not offended in your conscience, it's a good movie. But the whole idea of the movie is Jeff, it's Jeff Bridges in a classic, just classic role where he plays this guy just always lounging, always drinking, a white Russian, and just does not have a care in the world. And that's a type. That's the way that some of us want to do life, where it's like, let's be the guy who doesn't care. Or let's be the girl who doesn't care. And we're sort of laissez-faire, sort of up for whatever adventure, but not caring about too many things. And the reality is, I think there are things Jesus wants us to care about. I think there are things worth pursuing with him. 
And often, the, often is the case, being the person who doesn't care, it's related to the cool kid, is you're self-protecting because life has hurt you and you're afraid to put yourself out there. Uh, there's a moment, this is going to be a little bit vulnerable, but there was a moment, because I, I relate to a lot of these. There are some that you can guess that I don't relate to. But I remember this moment probably four or five years ago. It's a hard ministry season. Family life was hard. And I was driving to work in two notch. And there was just this guy, and this might not make sense to you, but I'm going to go for it. There was just this guy, like no shirt, jean shorts, had a suitcase of like natty light, and was just like walking down the street. And just for a second, I was like envious. <laughs> that, that, that sounds weird. But envious of, gosh, how nice it would be to not have to care, right? How nice would it be? And yet Jesus is saying even that, there's a selfishness in that that is shifting sand. Uh, seven, just two more. Seven, the slacktivist. This is Scott Saul's, I think. I don't know if he termed this coin, but the slacktivist is the person who's out here on social media caring about all the things. And again, things we should care about. But there's a way of doing it where we're, again, seeking the attention, not even the attention, but the appearance of looking good while the reality of our lives, there's no substance. We're not actually doing anything. Uh, I think about Paul when he says it's a weird kind of throwaway line. I think it's either to Titus or St. Timothy, but he talks about uh, make it your habit to live a quiet life. And I think what he means is there is something much more real about not being the person who's always saying the right things but being the person who was quietly about those things. And then the last one, I'm just going to say the, the personality expert, because, okay, if I'm being real, like I think sometimes this is what I want to be. The person who's a little, little, little too eager on the Enneagram. I, I taught a whole summer conference seminar on it, so I'm looking at, looking at myself here. Um, but sometimes we need to remember you're, we're more than a number. You're more than four letters. Personality is so huge. I'm such, if you know me, you know I'm big time, big pro counseling guy. I think understanding yourself is huge. And also you're more than that. Your identity in Christ is more than that. There's, you, you, we've got to understand ourselves. But we have to understand our identity is ultimately in Jesus. So sands that we build on, but then second, and, and relatively quickly, I just want to think about, okay, if those are the shifting sands, what is Jesus? What does that mean that Jesus is our rock? What does that mean for us? I think we say it and we know it, but what does it mean? So here's my, my, just my stab at what it means, something close to what it means. First, it means that Jesus is your security, not your bank account, not your resume, not your GPA, not your internship, not your relationships, not your family, not the way life is going, not the way you feel like you look. That's not Jesus is your security. Um, there's an old Charles Spurgeon line where he talks about, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me back upon the rock. And there's sometimes Jesus doesn't promise us a safe life. He doesn't promise us that life is going to be struggle free and amazing and happy. And I think often intentionally he lets, he allows hard seasons, hard things, hard struggles into our lives that they might be like waves that remind us and throw us back upon the rock that is him. Jesus is our security. But second, Jesus is our identity. He's your identity. He's my identity. Uh, I had a, an intern years ago who preached the, one of the best sermons I've ever heard on self-control. And I think I, Loki said this last week. But he said, here's how I understand self-control. Self-control is the refusal to let anything other than Jesus ultimately define you. 
that do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what it means that the work of Jesus means, like Caroline shared, that we are the children of God, beloved by the Father because of Jesus? Do you know that because of Jesus, you stand before the throne of God right now, justified, fully accepted, fully loved, fully delighted in, because of what Jesus has done for you in his life and in his death and in his resurrection? Do you understand that because Jesus is your identity, that your sins, the ones that you still can't seem to to repent the way you want to repent of them, that they don't define you, that Jesus alone defines you? Um, It's that thought of like, when I'm looking at myself, there's an old Puritan who used to say it like this, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks to Christ. Because if I'm focused on myself, I see the flaws. I see the things that are still there. I see the great reasons, many reasons, to feel ashamed and to feel naked, to feel like Adam and Eve in the garden, naked and ashamed. And yet when I take 10 looks to Jesus, he's my righteousness. Scripture beautifully says it. We are covered by Jesus as if we were wearing the most beautiful robe, um, the most beautiful garment. That's our righteousness. He's our identity. There's a, a peak Russell Crowe film, Cinderella Man. And there's this really moving scene. It's Renee Zellweger and uh, Russell Crowe, peak Russell Crowe, because what happened to him? But he's, he's playing this boxer um, in the movie, Jimmy, can't remember his last name, but he's about to fight the guy that is like three times his size. He's the champion. And the whole town's like, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? And, but the night before the fight, his wife comes to him. And it's like a scene around the fire, as I remember it. And she just says to him, it's a really moving monologue. She says, Jimmy, I want you to remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Brooklyn. You're the, you know, the, the father of our children. You're the love of my life. You're the people's champion. You just, and she says, so you just remember who you are. So much of the struggle in the Christian life is we don't remember who we are. We don't remember who we are in Christ. And Jesus is saying, I'm your identity. This is what it means that he's our rock. Third, he's our rock. It means that he's unchanging in his love. He's unchanging in his love for you. Jesus is the only person you can entrust the weight of your soul and identity to. No other person, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no friend can play this. Or no no father, no mother, no sister, no brother can play this. They can be little pictures of the unchanging love of Jesus, but none of them can fill that role. Jesus alone is unchanging in his love to us. And better than that, he's unwavering in his commitment. Jesus, when he looks, I want you to think about whatever it is that you came in tonight feeling shame about. Whatever sin you've committed, whatever struggle that you can't seem to just put away. Do you know how Jesus looks at you? He doesn't flinch. He knows. And he moves toward you in gentle grace to confront what needs to be confronted, absolutely, but always with unwavering commitment. I love the way that Sinclair Ferguson will say it. We think as a culture that love is maximum emotion, but love is maximum commitment. And what greater love have we known than Jesus going to the cross in ultimate commitment for you and for me And then lastly, what does it mean that he's a rock? It also means, think about what a rock is. It is not just steady, but it is always, always there, immovable. And Jesus is immovable to you in his patience. He is always patient with you. You know this. This is where senior share night is one of my favorite nights that we do because you get a little glimpse of a senior sharing maybe just a little bit of what they were like over the last four years. 
And one of the beauties of life with Jesus is you really can look back, especially in college, on your four years. And, if you, and you should do this, seniors. And think about how patient Jesus has been with you. Like when I listed last week, you weren't here, but I listed all those phases I've been through. I mean, Alyssa's been patient. Besides Alyssa, Jesus has been by far the most patient with me. I mean, Jesus loved me in my Abercrombie and Fitch years. You know how hard that was to do? I mean, like I looked ridiculous. I was, it was, you know, yeah. But Jesus is always, always, always patient with you. Um, I love John Newton's got this old line where he says it like this. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once was. And by God's grace, I am what I am. Um, I'll close with this. So some of y'all know the guys Bible study, we're working in our, our kitchen. It's taken forever. It's, gosh, we're the lights at the end of the tunnel. We're almost there. Paint just went on the walls yesterday. We're moving the stove and the oven back in tomorrow. We were sitting with our contractor last night, and his name's Kyle. He's become like a friend, which is part of the slowness. Is sometimes we just hang out. So we're sitting in the kitchen, me, Alyssa, and Kyle. We're kind of talking about our house. He also did our bathrooms over the summer. I mean, he's like done the work in our house. And we were talking about that. He's like, and it was a really sweet moment. He just said, guys, I don't, it's like, I don't mean this in the wrong way. But I think you guys know that your house wasn't built that well. We we're like, yep, yep, we do know that. But he said, but I want you to know, like, we really have done some solid, solid work. And the way he said it was, we've really... Even though the house doesn't have good bones, we've added some good bones. And it was just that moment of thinking about what does that mean for us as Christians in the sense of this life, a house upon a rock that Jesus is talking about. And it means what we sing. It's going to sound weird to say the bones are good, but I am going to say the rock is solid because the rock is Christ. Um, And we sing it like this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. All other ground is shifting sand. What is your shifting sand? And do you know that the Christian life is collapsing back upon the rock that is Christ over and over and over again? So let's collapse on him now. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our rock. We thank you that your love for us, um, sometimes it seems too amazing to be true. And Lord, I pray for, for my friends who are in you, who know you, that you would, whatever shifting sand they're wrestling with right now, would you, by your grace, collapse them back upon yourself. And Lord, for my friends who, who maybe are curious, a little bit skeptical um, of Jesus, Lord, would you convince them that you are the only rock that is solid And that your love and your grace um, is better than life itself, as the psalmist says. So, Lord, would you meet us in these ways tonight? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing the doxology with us.